It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Michaela, Isaac, and Caleb. Listen in as they discuss the 1972 film, Female Prisoner 701, Scorpion. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, all those in between, to another edition of... Uh, at the bar with the, uh, or speakeasy, excuse me, uh, with the novice ladies. Tonight, we're joined by a uh, new guest, Michaela. Welcome aboard. Hi. Welcome to the bar. What's your preferred drink? Um, I do like a dark and stormy. I am a rum bitch, so I would really, really enjoy that. Yeah, those are great. What's your uh, preferred drink tonight there, Caleb? Um, well, apart from my usual Jackson Trigg Shiraz, today I'm drinking Jackson Trigg Merlot. Very nice. More, more Jackson Trigg. Uh, for relaxing times, make it Jackson Trigg times. There you go, our, our sponsor for today. Are you? Wait, are you? Wait, no, are you? No, no. <laughs> great, that would have been amazing. Um, and, and your drink, Isaac? Uh, well, I'm his ride home, so I uh, don't take uh, pleasures in that kind of uh, stuff. Got it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Female Prisoner Scorpion. So, Mikhail, you said that you'd seen part of this before, right? Yeah, so I think, okay, I really, really love horror film and specifically Asian horror film because I took a course at university um, specifically about Asian horror film and with fantastic professor, Professor Justice, I believe, Robin Justice, the best name I've ever heard. (laughs) Um, And I think it was after we watched uh, Mystics in Bali that she recommended uh, female prisoner 701 scorpion to me because it is an exploitation film and I watched like the first half before getting distracted so I'm very glad to have finished it now yeah and Isaac you said I, I know you haven't seen this before but <laughs> I just figured I'd ask for the podcast but <laughs> but did you have much because uh, I, I saw this about um, uh, two years ago I'd say mm. and I'm sure I've talked to you Isaac about it many times before did, did you have any any kind of initial thoughts that you wanted to uh, say, like, maybe your thoughts before you watched the movie or anything like that? Well, all I'm going to say is I was hoping it was better than the uh, movie you showed me a few weeks ago with uh, Pam Greer. <laughs> yes, another exploitation film, Foxy Brown, I tried to uh, introduce you to. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a great one. What? <laughs> yeah, I really like that film, and Isaac just did not uh, appreciate it much. Unfortunately, I was not feeling it. Now, that's not to say, like upon other rewatches of it I, I might not be fascinated by it but I think it's still a very very well made film I'm not going to deny that but there was just something that wasn't getting to me but um, mm-hmm. I was very 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 surprised uh, when I watched and finished this film just a few moments ago <laughs> and that this is the film that I wanted Foxy Brown to be mm-hmm. uh, very much so um, okay 
All right. In, in what way? In what way? So what really stood out to you about the 701? Did you watch 701 or one of the other female prisoner films? I just finished 701 uh, literally like two minutes ago. Okay, cool. And I don't know. I think it just has... There's a lot more... I wouldn't say confidence, but lack of confidence means that it stands out more than, say, Foxy Brown does. I mean, the two leads are very, very, very different types of people, of course, and certainly from different backgrounds, and and what's happened to them is very different. Mm -hmm. But I feel like she had, Pam Greer's character in that film had a lot more tools at her disposal, like, you know, those... uh, Black Panther stands in, stand in, excuse me, and I thought the film was going to go a lot more into that, uh, but it wasn't. I was, I was a little kind of sad about that, and when she got caught, uh, now this is a review of Foxy Brown, uh, <laughs> when she got caught uh, during the uh, supposed, like, not sting operation, but when they were uh, working women, and she kind of got caught, it's like, really, was that your plan, or, or what? I thought you were going to, like, smooth your way in there, in the organization, and, like, take it uh, from on from the inside, and then eventually kill them, and that didn't happen. I was very disappointed by that. But this was—I mean, not that, but I, I don't know. I feel like I just enjoyed this character. Well, I mean, enjoyed, but I, I certainly was a little more satisfied with this character's arc and the fact that she got her revenge way more. She—I don't want to say because she got beat up—that uh, means she won, and then she's therefore in the right because she toughed it out. I don't know. She just. She took all that abuse, and in the end, she, I guess, not to completely just be repetitive, but yeah, she, she endured and she got her revenge, and I, I enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah, pretty pretty stunning perseverance, just, just such sadistic and horrible guards in this. Yeah. This constant beating her down, and she just never breaks, just... Yeah, no, I, I think it, it was super interesting just because there is that kind of BDSM dynamic where the cops are in very, like, very elaborate kind of guard uniforms and the prisoners are almost constantly either nude or they're in their prisoner uniforms or they're tied up. And, like, it's just it's just such a cool way to juxtapose the two, I, I would say, in that dynamic. Because, like, I think the cop... The cop uniform is such a is such a a standard in BDSM kind of role play, um, and to see that kind of one be kind of played straight at first, except like we're actually in a prison and they're actually cops and they're actually prisoners, um, and then later on in the film to see that kind of subverted or not subverted but like reversed um, when the prisoners uh, take hold of the prison, I think that was super neat. That was a really cool costuming moment um, that I appreciated at least about the film. Yeah, I never really considered the costume aspect, but yeah, they're definitely, the guards are almost kind of cartoonish Mm. in the way they're portrayed, but also like extremely brutal and gross, but at the same time comedic, which is kind of a weird balance. This movie has a lot of weird tonal stuff that they somehow managed to keep floating, even though it it shouldn't work. But yeah, just kind of the level of um, lack of realism, but at the same time, in the more brutal moments, like really unpleasant realism, I don't quite understand how the director make, makes that work. But yeah, for sure, I really do think there is like a like a the constant is the power play, right? Um, the power play between 
uh, oh, what's her name? Matsu and uh, a couple of the cops and the other prisoners who are kind of having a hierarchy in the prison. Um, I think what really makes the film work, even though there's all these like goofy effects and um, like blood and fire and glass everywhere, I think what really makes it really intriguing to watch is how that kind of power play between Matsu and the other people that she is against, essentially, um, is kind of how it plays out. Um, just seeing how they kind of brutalize Matsu all the time and then to see how the tables are turned uh, is really interesting just because I think when I first saw Matsu like kind of go about, I was just like, yeah, I was like, yeah, she's a badass for sure, for sure. Um, but as the film goes on, I, I, I think, I hope I wasn't the only one who thought this, but like she, she's kind of a... She's a little stupid. Like, I mean, with the idea of her be falling in love with the cop and then getting deceived, and then now she has, like, this one, like, train uh, guiding motivation of just, like, oh, I'm just gonna, like, like just murk this dude. Um, I don't know. I kind of felt like it was really simple, but, like, the fact that she kind of takes down all these people to get there was what was really interesting to me. Yeah, she definitely is portrayed as, like, super naive or almost like a symbolic innocence to the world. And then uh, she has a great line. What was it? Um, I think it's to be deceived is a woman's crime. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's just to see her kind of, and especially in this world, um, especially in the sequels, which I know you guys haven't seen, but essentially every single male character that they meet is just this horrible kind of <laughs> just creature. And so it's it's, it's a very strange dynamic. Hmm. But yeah. Sorry, I took a sip of my wine there, but... No, it's okay. No, we're at a bar. <laughs> totally drink. Um, is there anything else that you guys found cool about the film? Um, well, my usual meme on the podcast, I have to go on about the surrealist aspects of the movie. Okay, yeah. It's always like to go on about. <laughs> but watching a little bit of the behind-the-scenes features on uh, Shunya Ito, I think. Um, he was saying that Toei Studios at the time, they really had only two branches of film that they were making which are just kind of light and fluffy kind of um, romance films and then kind of realistic-based detective movies. And he just hated that stuff and thought it was really boring. And so when he got assigned this movie, he thought he wanted to kind of just branch out completely into a fantasy kind of realm, especially because it's based on a comic. Um, and so he really put a lot of focus on more of expressionistic kind of waves of uh, telling his story, which, we'll, again, we'll see especially in the sequels. But that's one of the aspects of the movie that I find really uh, fun on repeat viewings. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, again, I don't have that context about the director. But that's super cool to hear. Uh, Isaac, any uh, thoughts? Plenty, actually. There's a, there's a lot to say about this. But uh, would you say this film reminds you of the Street Fighter Two? Street Fighter Two. Um. Because remember, I remember when we watched that, you were saying very uh, how much it was like a lot more animated. Oh, feeling a little bit cartoonish as well? Yeah. Do you mean? Yeah, it's been a while, but I do remember that aspect of it, especially that one sidekick character that he had. Yes. But very cartoonish. <laughs> I must say this uh, this film, and I guess film series, is certainly set in the same world as uh, The Street Fighter. Uh, go on, uh, ex explain what you mean. <laughs> I can totally see uh, the female prisoner meeting up with um, Sonichiba's character at some point and just encountering him. 
and then let them maybe going to a bar and, and just talking about life and what what's happened to them and then maybe go kick some bad guy butt or something like that yeah i can't really see her uh kicking it back in a bar she's kind of uh <laughs> kind of gone eh yeah kind of gone yeah she's been That's fair even even in this movie like especially in the sequels she kind of becomes almost more of a symbolic character than a, than a real character does do the sequels go as nuts pardon me for interrupting do the sequels go as nuts as the island of malformed men um not quite as as nuts as that but okay good to note was that also toy um i, I believe it was toy yeah okay uh, but even in this one i mean she i guess she's almost a symbolic character all th- throughout she's never really much of a person she's almost more humanized by the few friends that we meet in the movie mm-hmm. there's that um Yuki, and then I don't remember the name of the second person who she meets. Who's kind of on her side. I don't think she has a name. She just has cool, straight black hair, like her, and is just on her side for whatever reason. I, I, I would like to assume that she's on her side because, like, everyone else is so shit, but, like, no, like, I, I don't think her name is mentioned almost at all. Yeah, maybe she could just tell just looking at her that she's been super, <laughs> like, destroyed. Mm-hmm. by the world and so she just feels bad i'm not too sure but no she's like the morgan freeman character from shawshank redemption where she, like she's mm-hmm. been there for a long time she's seen a lot of like the power structures and, and plays what's going on in there and she's like just very world weary and, and done with everybody trying to think they're hot crap but they're really not especially those you know the, the those few leads as well uh who think that they're top of the town but no i think she just like gets where uh, Matsu's coming from and allies herself with her. Does she show up at all in the sequels? That I will not spoil. Um, did you guys say that you wanted to watch them? I don't remember if you said that, Michaela, but... I would love to watch it, yeah, for sure. Um, but again, I, I don't know if I told you this, uh, Caleb. I don't believe spoilers are a thing. I don't think they actually ruin a film. <laughs> so it's totally fine if you spoil them. Well, I don't want to know, so please don't tell me. <laughs> okay, okay, got it, got it. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm. I'm very much the reverse. I I like to go into movies completely, uh, completely blind. So this is why I still haven't seen the trailer for Candyman and don't want to know anything whatsoever. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really, I really appreciate those two characters, especially Yuki, who again isn't even really a character. I don't even know if she has a line in the movie. Okay, the whole time in the film, <laughs> I was like, why, <laughs> why are they friends? Why are they like escaping together? I don't think that's ever explained other than the fact that like, oh, they're two kind of like naive-ish women and like they decided to escape from this awful prison together. And another thing that I noticed, um, like all three of those women that are on Matsu's side, uh, Yuki and the like unnamed like cool black haired lady they all have like I think what's really cool again and this is like a costuming makeup kind of thing um, literally every bad character on the show has like permed or like dyed hair while Matsu Yuki and um, that unnamed lady have like <laughs> black pretty traditionally straight like hair and I just thought that was a really cool I guess callback to traditional standards of beauty in Japan and then you know everyone else is evil because they have like the 80s hair or whatever <laughs> um, so i thought that was really cool but again why are they friends did, was that ever explained did i did i did i stroke out while no while that was explained at least with yuki they they start the film being friends yeah but i i almost got the sense that they were almost like what are they lovers kind of like a composite character 
Like, that was almost um, her human side. That when she died, it was kind of like Matsu completely broke with humanity. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I, I, I do want to... Um, Isaac's point on... On, on the fact that they could be lovers. I didn't realize this film was going to be a bisexual, like, <laughs> like cornerstone, uh, or was, like, the whole, like, yeah. sex with the cop not actually, like, was that Matsu just being very smart and being like, I know you're a narc. Um, but, like, I, I genuinely didn't expect that. That was very cool. That's definitely a scene that I wanted to talk about because that's always been a scene I kind of had, had an issue with. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it was a bisexual thing as much as I think it was her kind of seeing a chance to uh, kind of assert power mm. over one of the guards and chose to do it with sexual violence, which is the way that everyone seems to assert power of each other in this movie, mm. in this franchise. But yeah, I always just thought that was a, it almost felt too sleazy to me, that scene, especially if you guys have seen the trailer, which they very much emphasize that, that scene. That like um, the the oh her name is Kito I think um, that she didn't want it and then like Matsu kind of forced it and then you know now it's like now Kito really really wants it is that what you mean or uh, well they left that part out of the trailer but they definitely emphasized the kind of lesbian aspect but mm. no it was just kind of I don't know it it seemed weird to me that that would be a way that she would assert power that almost seemed more like the male kind of angle of the movie mm. but uh, I, I don't know i've just always kind of struggled with that that particular scene but that is fair because i think the cop definitely is like no i definitely don't want this at all um and then is kind of persuaded to the gay side i suppose to, and wants to desperately get back into solitary confinement with Matsu. <laughs> um but i don't know there's there's something really cool about this film and I think in general what vibes with me with exploitation film in, in general um, is the normalization of naked bodies and, and you know, lesbian sex. Uh, even though it's like hyper, hyper idealized and hyper fantasized and everything like that. It's like dripping with like male gaze or whatever. Um, but as someone who identifies as both an Asian woman and a bisexual person, um, I don't know, there's something just really cool and comforting, just being like, oh, there is a genre for us, even though it is kind of like, it is an exploitation film. But while watching this film, I was like, oh, my my body is normal, and like, it's totally normal to like, be like, turned on by this or whatever. Like, it felt, it felt very uh, weirdly affirming, and I don't know if that's a problem with me or, <laughs> or anything else. No, I think a lot of people felt that way in the 70s with exploitation didn't have to confine to any sort of strict rules of you know societal norms which is really cool black exploitation which i delve a lot into also kind of deals with that stuff which is super cool well you know when you're all part of a counterculture you kind of want to be you know hand in hand and help the other out sometimes yes yeah, especially when you're trying to just bring anyone to the theater that you can so <laughs> just to um, appeal to any audience which again, that trailer, it, it was very much pumping up the sexual aspect of the movie, which I thought was uh, a little bit curious, but... Does this have a dub? Oh, it'd be awful with a dub. It would be awful with a dub. Yeah, I've never I've never seen a dub for it, but I'm sure it exists. Um, do you prefer dubs over subs? Asking both of us, Caleb, go first. Oh, me? Um, I enjoy dubs when it's a comically bad movie. 
like a lot of the Godzilla films, I prefer to watch with the dub just because I think it makes it even funnier. Mm. Um, but otherwise, no, I prefer just to stick with the uh, original language. Now, are you talking both live action and animation, or just one or the other? Um, well, I guess with like something like Sailor Moon, some of those dubs are like hilarious. But <laughs> oh boy, just just you wait. <laughs> Uh, but no, in, in, even with animation, I generally prefer just to go with the subtitles. Mm. It's different. I was even thinking about that today. I'm like, do I seriously like only do dubs? Well, let's okay. Let's let's see. What are, what are the dubs I like? Um, well, the original Yu-Gi-Oh because that's just like a, a gem. Uh, I don't really care about Pokemon. Never saw Digimon. Some of those Ghibli dubs are are really good. <sighs> yeah, but when we last saw Mononoke in the theater, that dub like. Not even dub the sub like made me. Yeah, it's almost a different film. Just like with um, it's a different film. My neighbor Totoro, very different. To oh yeah, vibe. it is. But I still really enjoy the the one with the uh, Dakota Fanning and her sister. I think that's really sweet as well. I, I enjoy both. Ghost in the Shell. I always do the dub. I did do the. I think I watched both the subs like for one and two, and was like, eh, I think I prefer the dub a little better. And then. Neon Genesis Evangelion that I certainly enjoy the dub a little more uh, one day go by and sit by it but like for recent ones I just watched like Yu Yu Hakusho I just started with sub and then Pat Labor that I'm doing uh, subbed as well but with something like Record of Lotus War that's that was also English dub so I think it just I just flip flops and for Godzilla stuff yeah I prefer the I certainly do prefer the sub. It's very weird. I'm very, like, it's almost a coin flip for me. How about you, Michaela? I prefer subs. Just because uh, the English dub here community, the community there is just, it's just made with, like, the same, like, 15 actors. (laughs) They're doing a good job of, like, branching out, and now there's more voice actors in the community, so it's fine. Um, but, like, I think I just prefer having the subs and having subtitles anyway. Like, even if it was still in English, I prefer having subtitles. Um, so, as long as I'm still reading it and still getting the gist of it, I think it's... I'm going to sound like a douchebag here. I like the pureness of, of what the language was supposed to intend, even though the translation is not a perfect translation, because there's no such thing. Um, I think, in some cases, I would prefer dubs. Huh, is there a dub that I preferred i love the sailor moon dub just because there is there is a lot of um i guess wackiness to it and uh there are a lot of really good jokes uh in the dub that i don't think are carried out as well in the sub version um but i can't really like honestly off the top of my head i can't think of a version of media that i prefer dubbed have you listened to the sailor moon redub that they did recently no i've not years ago no oh it's so good (laughs) I will say, at least with subs, I think, I don't know, Michaela, if you're on this or not, but, like, when you say perfect translation, you're talking, like, vocally or text? Uh, kind of, like, okay, so when they're translating stuff into to put into English subtitles, whatever, um, like, there's no such thing as a perfect translation ever. Agreed. There's, there's no phrase that, like, if there's, like, I think, um... A really easy one to kind of um, think about would be like the dynamic of like the junior senior, the kohai senpai kind of thing yeah. going on in Japanese media all the time, and that's not a thing that can be easily um, described to an English-speaking audience because not even like senior junior really does it, you know. Master Padawan. Uh, oh well, come on. <laughs> Perhaps. 
Perhaps. I don't know. Uh, I, I'll agree with you on that one, though, that there's a lot of... Um, obviously, lots of things don't translate over here because it is a completely different culture, as all other cultures are around the world, because they won't understand our culture, for pit sakes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I certainly... I will, I will listen to uh, a, a sub, because I think it gives me the not the clearest trend not translation but it, it certainly i think has more intent and especially if i can hear the actor's lines uh again even though i can't hear you know what i'm reading but when i hear them it's like i feel like they're giving a lot more emotion there's a lot more emotion given into them i also say if i i'll never listen to the uh, whisper of the heart dub because that movie is perfect as a sub only okay. like that that film made me believe that you can actually do a real love story because I don't believe in romant- live action romantic films I'm looking at you Hallmark Channel like well that's a terrible example I prob- <laughs> well you know some people make a really like strong argument that they're they're legit and they're real life but I don't know that <sighs> that film sorry this is about female prisoner scorpion excuse me no you're living the Hallmark Channel now go for it Segway City off topic all those, all those podcasts but <laughs> that that film certainly makes you believe, especially with animation, because it's heightened and it's escapist and it's oh. fantasy. You can believe that those two characters are in love, and especially the actors really sell it. Whereas, because I'm looking at live action, sometimes I, I just can't believe like these two people are in love. It just it seems all fake. It seems I don't know all, all in a fantasy, and yet in a fantasy such as animation, you can actually like. I don't know, the barriers of reality are, are gone, and I can thus believe that this is real, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like like this film with the barriers of reality, which they kind of break down. Okay, here's one thing about this film that uh, I did not like. Uh, the Foley. Holy smokes, what was up with some of the Foley? Especially the very first scene where they're running uh, in that little marsh area near the river. Holy smokes, did anybody else hear that? I thought the Foley was endearing. There were some parts where like people are ripping each other's clothes off and the rips didn't quite match up and they're just like it just doesn't make sense. I thought that was super endearing about the film because like I think everything about the film is over the top and supposed to be like unrealistic. Like if we're going to speak about unrealistic like in the very first like scene of that film, that's not how periods work. That's genuinely not. <laughs> if we can complain that's about anything being unrealistic, there, that's not how they were. <laughs> but um, the Foley, I guess it wasn't so distracting just because everything else was so theatrical. Where I was just like, it was kind of the same suspension of disbelief that would hold for like a like a elementary school play, you know, where it's just like, okay, so like this is where my this is where I'm going to give them like the benefit of the doubt and like, yes, that's a ripping noise and yes, that's that's steps in a marsh for sure it, it was really reminding me of an italian film i i kind of was curious especially with the outdoor f- scenes if they shot with audio at all at all oh yeah her boyfriend or not boyfriend but, but the cop uh put in prison like i'm pretty sure i saw him uh dub his or his his voice dubbed when he was talking to that other woman uh at the gate there uh by, by the way that guy that <laughs> i couldn't help but think of it but that guy was like oh why does that guy look familiar i was like oh it's the mandalorian it's pedro pascal he literally looks like pedro pascal no it's not pedro so handsome no 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 yeah i don't I'm see like, that i'm like bad for this pedro pascal is like very handsome and like he's like happy like little chicken man i love him very much and you cannot say that this that gross like cop character was the mandalorian i no i 
Yeah, and I gotta say, the character is definitely gross, but I thought the actor really played it up well. Oh yeah, like, a lot of actors did a really good job in this. I gotta, like, give a tip the hat. They were, they did a very good job in this. Um, a lot of physicality as well, and especially, like, you know, having to be naked. I, I hope they were okay with that, but... Again, I, and that's my one thing why I don't go into exploitation is I'm always worried, uh, especially the stuff you told me, Caleb, about like what the line of like consent and or of what people will do uh, in a scene, where it goes and where it's drawn. That sometimes makes me a little uh, a little uneasy. Let's put it that way. Mm. Yeah, as a exploitation fan, sometimes that line is definitely very blurred, unfortunately. Um, but since we're talking about the detective and kind of the theatrical elements of the film. I want to talk a little bit about that backstory scene for uh, Matsu. Oh, I loved it. That rocked world. Oh my goodness. Like the whole white the whole white dress thing, the way that the like it was just like uh, all contained in one room. I thought that was amazing. I thought that was great. Yeah, when I first saw this, I was like, "Oh, you know, a woman in prison film. I'm not really a huge fan of that, but I do like Meiko Kaji because of this Lady Snowblood films." But yeah, once I saw that sequence, even just like the guy um kind of again like a symbolic scene when he's trying to they're almost doing that foreplay thing where he pulls her out of the uh, sheet and then yeah you pull up to the the bar scene right after that i was like oh no this this movie's something a little bit different and just another sleazy woman in prison flick well it wasn't supposed to be like a soup like a, obviously not a super hyper hyper realistic explanation of you know what's <laughs> happened to her obviously it was something that like she keeps in her mind and is like oh this is how the whole thing kind of played out um, or at least it was supposed to hold that element um, in like the whole explanation of her backstory. And I, I thought it was super cool um, how everything was kind of kept in one room and there was almost like a seamless transition and the lighting, oh my goodness, like after she's like laid there, um, once he's left her after she was um, sexually assaulted um, and her hair goes like all the way straight up and the lighting goes red, oh my goodness. I don't know, like, I, I just thought that was so money. It was so dramatic, so over the top, and it just explained just like the rage that you feel of like being deceived or cheated by a lover. I loved it. Oh, and I, and I love that immediately after that we cut to her, like just crouching behind a car with a cape and a knife. Oh yeah, she I, throws the cape in the air to attack him. That's, what the fuck? To be honest, <laughs> was great. When I saw that, I when I saw that, I was like, she's my hero. Here she is, titty out just ready to kill this guy like it's amazing it was an amazing scene to see yeah and i remember when i first saw this i wondered if that scene was kind of an inspiration for anime mm -hmm. just with the kind of weird slow motion effect that they were doing i feel like i've seen that replicated a lot in anime but I, i'm not sure if it started earlier than this do, do you know what i mean uh isaac yeah i know what you mean it especially made me think of the animation or anime sequence in kill bill if you guys mm -hmm. have seen that that kind of slow, slow down effect is definitely present in that little anime sequence. And I know Tarantino is a fan of these films, so I'm sure he was calling back to that. Mm. Golden Bat, that's who it is. Yes, the Golden Bat. Yes, he has a cape similar to Alan Scott, the first Green Lantern. Um, the, uh, what is it? the operatic cape with the high collar and whatnot. And uh, the Golden Bat as well has a high caped collar. Uh, as well and so I wonder if I don't think it was a reference to that but it was the first thing that made me I was like oh okay I think I got you there maybe I got it I don't know I'm just seeing it the, the cape it's cool yeah no no I see I see exactly what you mean yeah oh, thank you 
that's just what I thought. Uh, again, wonderfully shot sequence. Yeah, I'll just I'll just say um, you were mentioning that scene where she's laid out on the glass floor, uh-huh. and they light her underneath with red, and it slowly builds up as her kind of rage builds up. Yeah. But right before she looks into the camera and kind of you know gives us that very disturbing uh, stare, or very captivating, I should say, mm-hmm. they flash this kind of green light over her. And then later on in the scene, when she's having her big revenge sequence, they flash that over all of her victims. So I thought that was kind of an interesting right. lighting choice. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Oh man, it'd be really cool if I had some more time to think about this. But like, I definitely. Th- I felt the same way. <laughs> that, that that is really an observation that I missed. Okay, I have noted here. Uh, there, like, I think in the very first couple scenes, there's like this motif of the Japanese flag, or specifically like the figure. The Japanese flag, so it'll be like a close-up of the Japanese flag with the rising sun in the center, and then I think there was another one, um, like oh her consummation, like when she was having um, when she consummated her love with the cop, um, and it showed like the blood kind of staining the white sheets. That was pretty fucking cool, um, and then I think one of the one of the upper hierarchy prison ladies, like, I think there was like a, there was almost like a, God, I don't, I don't want to say juxtaposition again, but I, that's the word that's coming up where it's like, after they put on the red lipstick and it's them against their pale skin, I thought, I, I didn't know what they were trying to do with that, but I thought that was a really cool kind of thing they were going for. I didn't quite understand what they were doing with that whole scene. Like there was that weird Foley work again, where it was... I don't know, almost like insect kind of sounds or something in the background. It was a really weird kind of choice, but I thought it was cool. But I just wanted to say with that, um, like you are saying, after she consummated with that shitty detective dude, um, how they kind of do the Japanese flag with the blood afterwards. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the movie, they kind of, like you said, uh, juxtapose that after she kills that detective and he throws the knife up in front of the flag. Mm-hmm. I was like, I wonder what they're doing there. Like, almost a loss of innocence, and then I, I don't know what in the end. But <laughs> symbolism. It's a, it's it's there's something there. Some innocence of the nation, pride of the nation, um, fucking violation of the national image. There's something there. They're like, I'm pretty sure. There's Definitely. Um, but speaking of the ending, I hated the ending. I absolutely hated the ending. I wish I wish there was something else to it. I don't know how you guys feel about it though. Uh, which part? Um, just like, just how she exacts her, her revenge. Like, just, like, how did you guys feel about, like, that kind of sequence where it's like, oh, she's kind of like this force of will now going through the streets of the city and is going to, like, gank these dudes. And then she gets to, like, the final boss, essentially. Like, I guess, like, how how, do, how did you feel about that? I loved it. <laughs> I, I just loved it. Because it was so satisfying to see her finally getting revenge on these just absolutely terrible people. And so I was just, it was nice to see. I, I love revenge films, so those kind of scenes just really kind of uh, scratch an itch for me. But how about you, Isaac? Well, before, not to redirect, but Michaela, I, w- I would like to ask, what did you want to see out of the, the ending? I don't know. There was just something cool about the power dynamic with the cops in the prison once the prisoners kind of took over. Um, I don't want to say that I wanted these guys to get sexually assaulted, but I definitely want wanted these guys to get a little more than just, like, straight up dying. Um, 
I mean, I think I wish there was like some aspect of humiliation almost to it because like in a way this was like such an awful violation of her trust and now all she's going to do is just kill the guy like i i i know that's that's crazy to hear i know that's crazy it's crazy for me to say it as well but there was just something so unsatisfying like yes she did get her revenge yes she killed the guy and killed all the men that kind of like really did her dirty but like at the end of the day like was it was it enough I don't know, especially with what she's gone through. I think with the magnitude of the things that she's gone through throughout the film, um, I think it would have been really cool to see a little bit more of an elaborate plan from her. But I do understand that her character was supposed to be naive and simple and kind of like this one track mind of just like, I got to kill that dude, you know? Yeah, she's she's just a force of vengeance by the end, I think. Mm. So it's just you wronged me, so you die. <laughs> But I guess you have a bit more of a sadistic side to you, which is interesting. But <laughs> Don't we all? But I, I appreciate that. Well, if you uh, weren't satisfied with that ending, might I recommend a, another film called Foxy Brown? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, I'll recommend a film. Have you ever seen I Saw the Devil? Ah, I've not seen that one. People have been telling me to get that after, uh, that oh. after I told people how much I really like... Uh, What's it called? It's, the movie is called Revenge. Have you guys seen that one? No, I haven't, but I've been really meaning to. Yeah. Doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. But as someone who loves revenge films, I Saw the Devil is one of the ones at the top of my list. Like, uh, some really brilliant stuff. Okay, cool. All right, it's on the list. But um, I, I can understand a little bit of your dissatisfaction in the end. I think um, the second one, um, Jailhouse 41, gets that element a little bit better. Mm so I guess we'll see what you think when we see that one but um, yeah I, I still just love the way that the scene plays at the end and I love Meiko Kaji's singing at the end with that theme that she has um, I forget what it's called but <laughs> unfortunately cool. I, the one thing I will give this film um, like throughout everything with like the really hammy effects the Foley the, the actors who like really portray it but it's like they're not even real people at this point the music was amazing. The score mm -hmm. was just, oh my goodness. Especially the ending song. Chills up my spine. It was great. I wonder if there's a contrast and, or compare and contrast between the first song at the beginning and the final song at the end. Oh, I feel like they're the same. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think they're the same song. Yeah, I was wondering that too. I was like, is this the same song? I could be wrong. It's it's probably there. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> 70s galore. That that soundtrack though it's it's all 70s and i love me some 70s films uh soundtrack excuse me they're just they're filled with lots of emotion and yeah just a lot of emotion and a lot of good beats as well don't get any of these film scores anymore which which we did yeah it breaks my heart i mean you go across like almost every country you go to a 70s film and they have a really cool score indeed nowadays it's just a lot of more mood piece music Rather than really themes of their own, I, I don't know. Everything feels very undistinct. But maybe I'm misjudging. I, I, I don't know. But <laughs> Did you have anything that you wanted to bring up, Isaac? Anything in particular? Um, between you and I, I think the only other thing before I... If, if, other than contributing to the ideas or the, the notes that you guys have uh, is one of the leaders, one of the, the orange coats, as I'm going to call them, uh, <laughs> one of them with the, with the 70s or the 80s perm that's set in the 70s, um, with her 
Uh, I couldn't help but think of a, a certain character in another film, although animated, uh, who looked like that, and I was like, oh man, now I, <laughs> once I see it, I can't hit. Uh, basically, it was the one that had, um, in the shower scene, she uh, was fighting Matsu, and then all of a sudden her face goes completely no, if, oh if you know god. what that means. Oh my god, oh my god, no, no, I know, oh my goodness. Okay, no, no, continue your thought. <laughs> if we have the same thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you like a virtual five. Go ahead. First off, I like that scene as well. It was, it was very well done. Uh, again, I like how kind of, you know, uh, supernatural it almost became. Again, she was, once I saw her face and saw how like her, her skin turned pale all of a sudden and her... Her eye, again, you kind of looked at her face. I was like, "That's a no mask." It looks like one of the in no theater. I've not seen a no play. Hopefully, one day I'll be able to see a no play uh, when theaters reopen. And well, I don't <laughs> think they have any theaters or no theaters here in, in Vancouver. I, I have no idea. If they do. That's awesome. I'll go and visit one. I'll obviously, go to Japan to see one. But anyway, also, I'm surprised. I thought the the warden or whoever that head officer was when she took the guy's eye out or, or stabbed the piece of glass in the guy's eye I could have sworn his eye was like gone but he's like showed no sign of, of like pain I'm like um you're gonna acknowledge the fact that you have a piece of glass in your eye now and then later on he's just like it's just a scratch I'm like seriously couldn't you have like that would show weakness he refuses to do that but but what was the reference that you were thinking well it wasn't that it was the fact what she looked like and again her hairstyle yeah can't help but think that she looks like the soapbox girl from uh from wicked city oh okay Ooh. no we're on two different trains of thought yeah i kind of figured you wouldn't wear <laughs> i do yeah now that you say it i see it but uh... yeah with your old buddy maynard <laughs> oh i hate that fucker i hate that guy so much yeah he's uh, here's yeah. here's the person i was thinking of i thought <laughs> i thought it was devil man I totally thought it was supposed to be, like there's there were some um, connections between Devil Man and this and the way that the woman's face was. If if it is a no mask for sure, if that was the origin, then yeah. But like a classic Devil Man like comic book kind of illustrations, like definitely looked like her with the eyeliner kind of streaming upwards and the hair streaming upwards as well. Yeah, I guess you could go with that. She also could have been Devil Lady. Yeah. Or was it woman? I don't remember. But that other comic strip. But yeah, if you ever if you're feeling brave, look it up. Look at City. Look it up. Ugh. But yeah, no, I definitely think it was calling back to more of your reference, Isaac. And we'll see more of that element again in the in the sequels. I don't I don't want to keep repeating that, but <laughs> but um, they feel so thematically entwined. It's hard not to reference the other ones when talking about this one. That's fair. Like your exorcist talk. Exorcist talk. Excuse me. Yeah. In a way. But yeah, no, I love that sequence, and again, it just, um, Shunyo Ito just did not care about realism at all. It's like, no, it's just, she's, like, almost become, like, a rage demon, so let's just make her look more demonic. Like, it's super, super interesting that, that he does that. Mm. And again, it feels very different to most exploitation films that you'll see, even from Japan. Like, very few films just kind of <laughs> just bleed into surrealism in that way. Mm -hmm. What, you're talking, you're telling me that Tetsuo the Iron Man was not real? Well, that, you know, that's a little different era, but. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess you could, I guess you could point <laughs> that one out. We think it's the 60s, yet really it's the 80s. I'm like, well, how the heck did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I got so confused there, but <laughs> anyway. But I, I really did enjoy uh, one, one aspect was that every time she got the all, all the, like the villains are well, i mean everybody in this film's a villain except for like three people um every yeah. time 
uh, the main antagonists got their comeuppance. I always liked the fact that it was sometimes indirectly through her, through like no fault of, not, not no fault of hers, but she never, she was powerless to do so, but yet somehow she always got the upper hand, and I kind of like that. And some people be like, what do you mean? Doesn't that mean she like, you know, the plot told her to do that? She The, the plot was allowing her to do that? Is she not like some poorly written character? I don't think so. I think the scenes are well laid out properly, and even if she's backed in the corner, I feel like the logic kind of, maybe not surrounding her, but just, and the fact that allies are there. If those if she didn't have those allies there, she probably would be dead. Uh, I was going to show you need allies when you're in kind of situations like this but yeah especially with that that one chick who aligned with the detective if it wasn't for yuki she would be dead so god dang that woman's face got pale like i'm pretty sure they they added like a layer of of makeup to her because her face got really pale <laughs> which one the the one who was um colluding with the cop or yuki oh no the one who shot yuki um oh. Yeah. Who, where, where Yuki wrote the name of of, of her uh, uh, killer on her on her hand, and I was like, oh, I was kind of hoping that there would be some sort of like uh, Matsu would like press her hand up against uh, that woman uh, at the end. Uh, I don't know if that would be symbolic or anything like that, like writing the name of her killer uh, friend's killer. I have, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. See, I feel like that was the scene when I realized that Yuki like hadn't had a single line yet. Like, she has a lot of really poignant looks. Like, she does a good job acting just with her face, but I don't feel like she speaks at all in the movie, which is strange. What if she's mute? What if she's mute? What if this is actually um, disabled rights um, in the the 60s? I'm joking. I don't think that's the case. Well, it's either that or she's... It's one of those situations where you've been uh, violated, and it's one of those moments where you just don't talk. Like you just you, you just you shut down completely. But probably I'm wrong on this, but there have been real life cases I believe where people just don't talk uh, if they've been violated, and perhaps she has been violated either in there or she got in there and was violated. Well, with with these guards, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But but no, I, I again I, I almost feel like she's just a composite element rather than a real character of her own. But fair enough. But again, there's lots of really strange elements in this movie that you can't really... That I don't really know what to think about even after my fourth viewing at this point. I still don't fully get what his vision was with it, but I really like what I see, so... (laughs) It was all over the place. Like, in general, I think I love, like, the nudity of it all and, like, the awful fake blood and everything and, um... Like, definitely the BDSM, like, kind of um, costuming and, like, dominance, power play, everything like that. I think I think there was definitely a lot of a lot of uh, visual illusion illusions that he wanted to kind of go with. Um, and I think that's what I really enjoy about this film. I really enjoy dense films and ones that you can just kind of chew on on one particular aspect or the other for, like, hours. Um, but, like... Do I understand what he was trying to say with the film, with like the imagery of like the Japanese flag or like his take on vengeance or anything like that? No, it was just a very good like hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, the flag element is one that I, it's it's very clear that he was doing something there, mm-hmm. but I was always like, am I missing it because it's in a specific kind of cult- cultural artifact of the time that I'm not getting? But it seems like he's got a weird anti-nationalism take Mm. like there's that whole thing in the beginning when we first because we open up on the flag and we open up i think they said in the bonus features that it was like the japanese anthem 
I think they said. <laughs> I, I, I'm not quite sure. I listened to them a little while ago, but... And then they're honoring the warden for, like... Um, they're giving a commendation for giving safety and humanity to the prisoners or something like that. So it's almost like an ironic joke to start the movie, considering he's such, like, a piece of shit. <laughs> I knew that was a... That guy was full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know in the extras they mentioned that he was having some problems with the studio at the time due to, like, a union dispute. As usual. But I'm not sure why that would extend... <laughs> yeah, really. I'm not sure why that would extend to the, such the almost anti-Japan take that it seemed like he had with this movie. Because with that opening, it almost seemed like he was correlating the country with the warden, in a way. I, I couldn't quite understand what he was doing, but... Which I feel like a lot with this movie. Like, I don't quite understand what he's doing, but it's interesting either way. <laughs> to steal from somebody else, art is not made nor perceived in a vacuum. Hmm. Who's that from? Uh, uh, the man I know I get all my anime from, a uh, man by the name of Bennett the Sage. Oh, I see. <laughs> like him or hate him, he certainly, uh, certainly helped me enter. Without him, I wouldn't know a lot of uh, Japanese animation, but... I, I think I do feel like this it doesn't matter if it's an abstract piece of you know uh, avant-garde uh, film <laughs> or project whatever you want to call it I do believe that everything has to come an idea of of this caliber has to come from someplace and whether it's from your own mind your observations the of the environment or experiences that happen to you or somebody else I obviously this I, th I don't want to just leave it at this film as trying to say something and I don't know what <laughs> you can either take it you know objectively this woman had uh, was was violated and was thrown in prison completely under out of her own free will injusticely and now she goes on a revenge quest to basically get even with him or you can look at it subjectively and say well there's a lot more going on here than on face value what that is I have no idea <laughs> I think the fact that the two main like establishment figures that we see with the detective and the warden are both like sadistic, betraying pieces of shit. <laughs> kind of seems like maybe he's saying something about authority just on its own. And yeah, again, uh, some of the kind of gender politics in the movie, especially in the sequels where every single man is like a horrible monster. <laughs> seems like he's saying something. But again, in an expressionistic way, it's not really meant to be completely illustrative. But yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting piece. I always enjoy going back to this, even if I don't fully get it. Just kind of like The Lighthouse as well. <laughs> I think we talked about that, like where we didn't really have a proper read on the film even after multiple viewings, but still really fun to go back to it. Yeah, that's fair. Like some movies like Eraserhead, I have a pretty definitive read on the movie, even if it changes mildly. Every now and again, it's still basically the same. This movie, I don't really have a, a full read on it at all. I just have reads on certain elements of it. What other notes do you guys have? Nothing. Uh, that's basically that's basically all my... We've been talking for an hour, guys. I, I, that's basically all, all I have on um, Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion. Just because, like, again, I, I just took my notes of it and, like went about with my day. <laughs> I don't know, how long do you guys usually record these episodes? Well, <laughs> if it's a panel by panel of a comic oh, book that's roughly 500 pages, three hours. Got it, got it, okay. And if Yeah, let's not repeat that. <laughs> and if it's a movie called The Last Jedi, 
It's also like two hours, 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it, de- it depends on the movie, but... But final thoughts for you guys, uh, I guess starting with Michaela. Uh, I loved it. I loved the blood. I loved all the naked bodies. I loved everything about it. I really did. How about you, Isaac? I'm feeling it. Sign crossed. Um, yet another film that makes me question Batman's no-kill rule. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, again, like I said, fourth viewing, and I want to go back again sometime soon. I just really enjoy watching it. I love revenge stories, and this franchise overall is one of my favorite revenge uh, stories, so I'm very excited to watch the other films. I haven't seen them in a couple years, so I'm going to revisit them. Question is, from here on out, revenge, is it a worthless cause? I guess we'll find out. Um, <laughs> the next episode of... <laughs> yeah, that sounds like the kind of ending that we usually do, but any any last words, uh, Isaac, in particular, with your... Uh... I'm tipping the uh, the waiter, wait, waitress, whatever, whomever, um... 40% tonight. There you go. That's yeah. pretty good. That's a good tip. Well, that's because I uh, left my keys in the car in the ignition all day today, so... What? Unlocked <laughs> as well, so... I uh, owe somebody some money. Well, <laughs> peace. Isaac, um, did you want to do an intro for this? Because usually with these, I haven't been doing intros because I do the pre-intro on the... Uh... Yeah, that's yeah. I guess you haven't exactly. I mean, you always could just put like an intro before the intro. The pre-intro, as they call it. Well, I, I already do one with the speakeasy intro, exactly. so... <laughs> trying to think now. How do you... How do you... I'll do my own abridged version. Just the Right about about deciding what the preamble will be. <laughs> yeah, I always have this because I always just start talking, and then people are like, "But don't you want to do an int- introduction?" And I'm like, "No, not really." <laughs> Introductions are for chumps. <laughs> it's a late day at the bar, or on the job. Who knows? I'm sounding like Shatner. That's not a good idea. Okay, enough of that. I thought you were imitating me with my intro that I do. Well, I sort of was, and then I realized I sound like Shatner, and it's like, uh, don't want to channel that guy. I'd rather channel some Nimoy instead. So next time you come over, I gotta show you, um, Gareth Evans' bonus feature they did for this movie. Because he did a 24-minute feature just talking about this one film, and about how much he loved it. And how much it was an influence on his films, including The Raid 2, where he said that he ripped off a scene from it directly but then unfortunately I had to cut it out, so... (laughs) 
trying to remember if I knew what it was, but what uh, what is it? Oh, it was just um when uh, Matsu and Yuki were both laying down in the prison cells. Oh, and sorry, I'm stupid. I that makes sense. Yeah, in I'm an idiot. Yeah, this film. Yeah, the, yeah, this film. Yeah, he said that he did a scene almost identical to that in the raid two, but then unfortunately had to cut it out, so it never made it to the final print. But that he was very influenced by this. Hmm. In terms of the kind of balance of tone, just kind of the way to make a low budget film seem like a bigger budget film, this was a definitely something that he saw that um, made him want to be a filmmaker. Oh, totally. Oh, hey, what was uh you were telling me you wanted to bring some stuff up about this, right? Yeah, I, I closed my notes a little while ago. I one thing I wanted to say to 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 Michaela was she liked how simplistic this film was, or the the plot, excuse me, where, you know, woman gets assaulted by her cop boyfriend and gets sent to jail and is now on a roaring rampage of revenge. I'm like, John Wick. Well, I mean, that's, I think, even more simpler. Guy's wife dies, gives him a dog. Uh, I think there's even haikus about John Wick, but anyway. Uh, Dog gets killed by former mob boss that he served uh, John goes on a roaring rampage of revenge yeah again that's why I love John Wick when I saw it I, I just love revenge films there's something so satisfying about about them yeah and that one in particular was really good yeah I, I'm curious to see what the next one's gonna be like yeah, whatever that, I mean I hope first off I hope it's not set in a week or a week after I hope it's like uh, several months at least afterwards where now it's, I'm not going to say John wasn't going on the assault, but John is clearly, as, as you and I may have discussed, in, in 2 and 3, he's very much reacting to a lot of, especially in 2, he's reacting. So now I kind of want to see, and you're like, but not you, but like the audience, or the person listening to this is like, but wasn't he like, you know, actively taking out those guys? Well, yeah, but it's from a reaction. Like everything he's done is from a reaction. Now I want to see him actually go on Assault, like he actually takes uh, direct action against you know everybody. This this uh, what do they call it? It's been so long since I watched that. I forget. Yeah, I, I don't even remember what the ending of that movie was after we watched the third one. Three or two? Uh, three. Okay, I mean I still remember because I listened to a compilation of it and do maternal music and it's great. It's very very stress relieving. But nice. Yeah, I mean, do, do you want? Me? I guess yeah. I'll tell you. Uh, it ends with. John being betrayed by Winston on top of the continent, Continental, where he inhumanly falls probably ten stories after bumping into, like, a lot of objects that break his break his fall, air quotes. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Now. Yeah, and then um, the, the Bowler King, played by Lawrence Fishburne, then asks John if he's, like, he's pissed. You pissed, John? You pissed? And he just goes, Yeah... So, what I hope for is basically John going on the assault, like, dismantling the system, basically. Like, he's just going to take it out. And it'll be, he'll be poorly written, but it's, he's like the Joker in Dark Knight where he's like 20 steps ahead of everybody. Like, almost the whole movie needs to take, be taken place uh, in the, like, from the view and the perspective of, like, those in charge, and he's the antagonist. Yeah, that, that, that could be cool. 
where like we don't get anything from John and it just makes like it makes him the boogeyman basically. Yeah, turn him back into the legend that he was in the uh, the other two films. Well, in the first one at least. Yeah, I remember in the beginning of the second one, at least um, oh, what's that guy's name? Peter something, uh, whatever the second Russian mob boss. Oh yeah, Peter Stormare. There you go. He kind of built him up as a legend again. Yeah. But yeah, they've kind of dropped it since then, I feel like. Yeah, especially in 3 when both raid bosses show up uh, at the ending and you can clearly tell, like, who's trained and who's not. Like, no offense to Keanu Reeves, but, like, those two are absolutely, like, master martial artists. Mm-hmm. And you can tell he's kind of, like, I was... So I, I, I just want, like... I'd like to see John go on the assault now against everybody instead of reacting. He's taking direct action against them. Oh, and he has, like, an army of dogs that he trained. Goes in. Anyway, your notes, sir. <laughs> oh, uh, there, there was one scene in particular that I wanted to mention. I guess I'll add this in. And what is that? Um, it was during uh, Matsu's sexual assault scene. I really enjoyed the fact, especially my initial viewing, that unlike most exploitation films, which really lean into the more graphic elements of those kind of scenes... They very specifically focused, because they had that glass floor, and so they really focused on the kind of grotesque faces of the men who are perpetrating the act. Yes. And they put all the focus on the expressions of them, and then occasionally shots of her. I thought that was a really cool way to kind of keep away from making it really exploitative. You know, I actually enjoyed that as well, because we're showing the assaults happening, but we're not focusing on it solely, like the the act itself. Yeah, it's more focusing on how the people process it. I think. I don't know how exactly you can how how tastefully you can make a violation scene work, but it's certainly been done. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, and I, I think this is one of the better examples, especially because it's so artistic in that way. I was also gonna. Well, actually, I was gonna mention that the only other like. Back to our inserted, like, out of nowhere dub versus sub debate. No, not debate, but talk. Is I also will often listen to sub or dub when it's re- when it's recorded uh, at Ocean Studios here. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, just because it's local voice actors here, so I'm always going to, like, go over with them against... The- I should probably still listen to the sub, but, like... Listen, man, if you're, like... If it's recorded here in your home... Near your hometown, you kind of... I'd, I'd certainly want to support my local actors. No, that's fair. 